This is Growing Pulse Crops, and I'm your host, Tim Hamrich. Today on episode 11 of season two. We're working really hard to try and harmonize MRLs and make it as trade-friendly as we can, but it's a complicated process, and we need the help of our producers, too. I think the most important thing is to communicate with your processor so that you can make sure you have a market for the product you're producing. Todd Schultz, Vice President for Research and Member Services at the USA Dry Pea and Lentil Council, joins the show. Todd has been with the council for over 20 years now. He also lives and works on a small family farm in eastern Washington where they raise lentils and small grains, so he's a producer as well. Part of Todd's responsibilities at the council include crop protection and helping gain access to crop protection materials for the pulse industry in the United States. So on today's episode, we're going to talk about pulse crop quality standards and even more so how residues from these crop protection products play a role in perceived quality from buyers and consumers around the world. We'll talk about some of the nuances of MRLs, which are maximum residue limits, and what growers need to know to deal with these complex and nuanced standards that exist in different global markets. First, though, Todd shares why, even after 20 years, he loves his job so much at the USA Dry Pea and Lentil Council. This is just a great time for the pulse industry. We are expanding in our uses. We're expanding in our acres. We just added Nebraska as a you know, checkoff organization. So our growing region has expanded. The impacts of that on the rotations and the crop development, it's just such an exciting time that, you know, it makes it harder and harder to quit. But this has really been the best job. You get to work with these growers, you know, as one of my friends said, salt of the earth people that are interested in advancing their industry and making the best product they possibly can for their customers The scientists are just as excited about their role in developing the industry. So it's just a great position in the council to see all of these efforts marry together and move forward. It's it's a great job. You heard Todd mention there growers wanting to produce the best product they possibly can for their customers. As you're going to hear from him in this episode, quality, though, goes beyond just the grade. One of my responsibilities is helping to establish the grading system for uh, pulses. And if you look at the U.S. grading system, it's all about appearance, size, shape, color. And so a lot of the characteristics and the grading factors are about how the crop looks. And in fact, that's the way it's sold across the world. Everybody wants to see what those pulses look like. But, you know, the other part of the story, as I said, sustainability and global climate change and the environment have all impacted the way the customer looks at their food. And so, you know, as we're leading into the subject of the day, the way we treat it, the products we use to control our pests or our diseases are very important because they stay on the crop and it impacts the quality, the concern for quality includes those residues, those products that are being utilized. So I think the original question was what parameters, you know, the original parameters in the grading system is about visual appearance, but there's a lot more to defining quality. And, you know, one of my uh, colleagues talks about the Ford Motor Company, you know, back in my day when I was young, younger and was interested in what kind of car I should get, you know, nobody wanted a Ford. That that stood for fixed or repaired daily, right? 
But the Ford Motor Company took on that that reputation and started making quality job one. Remember the ads that said quality is job one. And they improved the quality of their product considerably and, and increased their market share. And we can do the same thing. We, we are working today you know, in the uh, marketing division. There, we have a quality seal and we're trying to reestablish that, that reputation across the world and domestically as the quality product, which we actually have a reputation for. The U.S. is the quality product across the world. And because of that, we can gain a premium. That's what's important to the grower is the is the uh, end price. So everything we do to that product, that crop is important. In order to ensure quality when it comes to residues, countries establish tolerances or maximum residue limits, MRLs. This is becoming an increasingly important part of producing quality pulses for the global market, partially because there are different approaches to determining these standards. So in the United States, we call them tolerances. In the rest of the world, they call them MRLs or maximum residue limits. It's the amount of residue that's left on the crop after you utilize a product. And it's established by a registering agency. So like the EPA in the United States does that job. And each country has their own registering authority. Philosophically, there is basically two approaches to controlling residues. One is what we call a risk-based approach. And so what the government or the registrating authority does is they evaluate the amount of risk each product might cause at two times or a, a number of times the application. And the U.S. uses that approach. Other registrating authorities, Canada, use this approach. In other areas like the EU, they're approaching it with what they call a, a hazard-based approach. And so what that means is if the product has a chance of producing cancer or a disease or a response to humans, then they would like to eliminate use of that product. That's the kind of the goal. So rather than expose their populations to a risk, they eliminate the hazard. Those two approaches are not in harmony, and it's a big deal. So as I look out over the world, it is of concern because we depend on a lot of products for conservation tillage. We depend on products for, when you're making a quality product, weed seeds are important, and weeds, and they can discolor the product and make it look bad. So it is important to our production practices to be able to use chemical pesticides, but there is an increasing concern across the world for the use of those pesticides. And you can see it in the way the registrants, the registering authorities are enforcing their MRLs. They're reducing the MRL standards or eliminating them or establishing a level of detection so that even a drift accident can cause a shipment to be rejected. The costs to that are huge. You know, in my estimation, the cost is, first, it's financial. So a, a processor or an exporter shipping a container to the EU and it's rejected for MRLs for residue levels, that container is then condemned. It's no longer food. 
So rather than shifting the location of that container, that leaves the, the exporter with quite a, a problem. They have to figure out how to get in that container someplace that can accept it. And it's been condemned by the EU. So it's really a, a tough nut to fix. That's just the expense part of it. But if you also think about it in terms of food, um, we're trying to feed 10 billion people. And if we can't ship our product to those people, there's a social cost to that also. I get that there's a lot of other concerns than social needs, but we, we are serving our customers and we have to figure out how to do that. It is very difficult. And I know, you know, glyphosate, everybody knows that there's an, a pressure against glyphosate. But think about all of the ways we use glyphosate just to help us maintain our, our tillage practices. You know, no-till and glyphosate kind of go together. There aren't any really equal uh, replacements for that product. And it's still very effective and very safe. And the overall trend for these requirements is to become increasingly more strict over time. So how are growers supposed to adjust to these constraints? Todd recommends a few things, communicating with your processor, following the labels to a T, and staying keenly aware of the potential for drift. We have processors that are, well, they're asking their producers not to use glyphosate, particularly as a burndown material. So... You know, at the end of the season, there are definitely weeds that you benefit in control. Thistles are one example in spraying with glyphosate because it kills them or stops their seed production. And so that controls the next season. You know, that use, I think, is it's really useful. But first of all, in my advice to producers, follow the label. So if it says wait two weeks to harvest, wait two weeks because... That interval gives the, the residue a chance to reduce in the seeds and gives you a better chance of meeting the residue level, the maximum MRL that is established. Follow the label. Don't try and harvest early because you see the rainstorm on the horizon. The alternative products at uh, pre-harvest are uh, not better than glyphosate, in my opinion, but... Uh, you have to deal with your processor. That's the other bit of advice. Deal with your processor. They have markets that they can sell product that has been treated, and they have markets that they can sell that are not treated. And so you should definitely work with them and identify your product, your product, the crop, you know, so they know what they're dealing with. So they don't mix it. So it gives you a market for that product and you don't hurt your neighbor's product or the industry for that matter. The first bit is follow the label. The second bit is always communicate with your export, your processor who knows where he's going to sell that, that product and tell him what you've done because it's important. You know, we've had incidents with 2,4-D and that's not a labeled product. So, you know, don't try and spike your glyphosate with something. Follow the label and especially at the end of the crop cycle because the crop doesn't assimilate that residue as well. So scientifically, it just sits there. You know, drift is another issue. We, we understand that if you're using a product adjacent to a crop, there's a chance of drift and you should be aware of that. That's, you know, another issue. The third kind of issue is 
be aware of what you're doing around those crops because uh, there's a big sensitivity for residues of all kinds. And it's not going to get less lenient. It's going to get more strict because it's just the way the marketplace is developing. In my opinion, as you look out, there are more and more countries that trade with the EU and the EU is influencing the way MRLs are being controlled and evaluated and established. Uh, you asked me what it's like being here for 20 years. One of the things uh, you see is when we started this 20 years ago, the measuring devices were huge and expensive. And now there's a measuring kit you can buy on the internet for glyphosate for $70 that tells you whether there's a residue. It's an up or a down test, but it's only 70 bucks. It doesn't tell you what the level is, but it tells you whether it's present. And that's <laughs> that's that's the story is it's the technologies are much cheaper you know we used to measure one part per million and think we were doing great and now they can do parts per billion parts per trillion and you've got people that think that one part per trillion is important and uh, affects your health even though it's not proven it's not scientific but it's definitely emotional so anyway some of the incidents we've seen have to do with 2,4-D, which is a well-known chemical, and the tests are, are well-established and available. And so producers should be aware of that. As you understand that you're using a chemical that's been around for many, many years, you know, decades. My dad used it, for heaven's sakes. The testing for that is also been around for decades, reduced in cost and much more available. Roundup is a similar, or glyphosate is a similar product, um, been around for decades, and the tests for that are well established and very available. So as you use those products, make sure you're following the label, and uh, and then if you can, you know, figure out how to sell what you're doing. So maybe there's a maybe there's a market benefit for not utilizing those products. And again, that's a communications between you and your processor. Now, I know there's quite a bit of nuance here in this topic, especially when it seems like the goalposts seem to shift based on markets and processors. So I thought it might be helpful just to get Todd to talk a little bit about the background of how these standards are developed in the first place. There's an international standard established by Codex at a committee. I've actually been to a couple of those meetings and they're slow, but there's 90 countries involved and they take a residue established by kind of a joint committee within the codex uh, structure between the World Health Organization and the FAO, the Food and Agricultural Organization. They have a joint meeting. They decide what the residue limit is according to the science and then they present that to this committee. In a similar manner, each registering agency within the, each country can establish their own levels. In the United States, they're based on an evaluation of what the risk is. So um, they evaluate the risk to sensitive animals. They evaluate the risk to humans, to children. And those evaluations are done in a scientific manner. The residue itself is established through trials that are conducted across the nation on those crops. They take the plant residue and they measure what they get. And they establish it at 10 times or a number of times the normal application, the recommended farming practice. Then 
that level is evaluated against the health risk. So, for instance, if you used Roundup on lentils and were to um, eat lentils with residue at the level, it's like five parts per million, it would take somewhere around uh, 30 kilograms in a day to achieve the level that is the minimum safe level of, of glyphosate. So the lentils would probably kill you before the uh, glyphosate even affected your health. So the MRL level is really a safety valve. It's not a health standard. It's a safety valve. In the world, Codex used to be the alternative standard. So there was the EPA in the U.S., Australia and Canada, most of the developed countries had their systems. And then for the less developed countries, Codex was the standard. But as countries are becoming more involved in international trade, they're establishing their own registration authorities. And that's becoming a mosaic of different MRLs at different levels across the world, which makes trade more complicated and makes our job as farmers more difficult because it's not as easy as following the label. It's also having your processor know where they're going to ship it because some countries have established zero tolerance or at least are working toward that. Mexico, for instance, has announced that they want to eliminate glyphosate in the next four years. The EU does a reevaluation of the use, you know, every five years. And at the last meeting, Germany supported it. And that was the vote that allowed the EU to use glyphosate. The administration is due to change and it's not clear what the future is. France has made a declaration that they would eliminate within their country. In the EU, um, that's a kind of a unique situation. They have, what, 29 countries, I think, in the EU, and each of them can either adopt the EU standard or their own standard. So it makes it more complicated for the shipper that's trying to, or the exporter that's trying to export into those countries. And in turn, then makes our job more difficult. So that's uh, the national standard. As you're trying to cater to your customer, different food companies, uh, grocery stores, have established that their standards should be stricter. And so this is one of the things that drives me crazy. If five parts per million is good enough for the nation, then I'm going to sell two and a half parts per million. You know, if you take that back to the producer... That means that's a half rate. What does that do to our pest management system if we're using half rates and we get more escapes and more resistance to those control products? It makes you think about alternative means of pest management, robotic weed devices. I just attended a seminar talking about a device that goes on the end of a combine and takes the seeds through it and pulverizes them and makes them into dust, you know, so you don't have the seed load. Todd says that despite these challenges and the fact that they don't seem to be getting any easier anytime soon, there are positive actions that the industry can take. So the industry is working in two basic directions. One is, of course, agronomically. We, we're trying to reduce the need for uh chemical pesticides or pesticides and reduce that need by either, you know, maybe shortening the season so you don't need to use uh, pre-harvest aid, making the canopy tighter so you don't have to use over-the-top 
products and it competes better, or maybe disease resistance is also an approach. So, so we're definitely trying to improve the agronomics in terms of how we react to our, our pests and diseases. The second part of this, though, is when you get a better product, which happens infrequently in the pulse industry, but when you do get a better product, if you have an MRL in the United States that isn't honored worldwide, it puts you at risk. So they could inspect for that residue and then reject the crop. So it's really important that we harmonize those uh, MRLs across the world. So, and again, just as it's difficult to trade with that mosaic of registration authorities, it's difficult to harmonize with that mosaic of registration authorities across the world. So we start with Codex and we've tried to improve their system because it was relatively slow. It would accept 10 chemicals, 10 active ingredients per year. Uh, we've tried to increase the number of meetings so they can do double that. And, you know, that takes funding and agreement from the Codex authorities themselves. We've tried to create a, a system where Codex is the default. So if I don't have an MRL, maybe instead of just rejecting the product, I go to Codex and use that standard as a trading tool. That's what we've been working on. It's a political decision and it takes consensus among the, the participants. And that's more difficult than it seems. But anyway, I think important to the, the producers is that we have to work on that. And you can't just say, well, it's labeled in the United States and I'm good. It makes it really important to talk to your processor. And that's really a great note to sort of round out today's episode. Despite all the complex dynamics at play here with quality and MRLs, the most important take home is to develop that good relationship with your buyer and make sure they know what they're getting and you know how you can best maximize your revenue from your crop and the way you produce it. The most important thing is for a grower to remember that his product is uh, for a consumer that perceives quality in many ways. And so it's important that we follow the label <laughs> and keep our uh, product as safe as possible, follow the label and follow the pre-harvest intervals. And then, as I said, I think the most important thing is to communicate with your processor so that you can make sure you have a market for the product you're producing. So I think that's what I think. We're working really hard to try and harmonize MRLs and make it as trade friendly as we can, but it's a complicated process and we need the help of our producers too. Well, thank you so very much to Todd Schultz for taking the time to be on the show. You can reach Todd and learn more about industry programs at the USA Dry Pea and Lentil Council website, usapulses.org. This show is brought to you by the Pulse Crops Working Group with support from the USA Dry Pea and Lentil Council, as well as the North Central IPM Center and USDA NIFA. We're releasing these episodes twice a month throughout the growing season, and we want to make sure the information is relevant to you. So please tweet us with any feedback or suggestions using the hashtag growing pulse crops. And we'll be back with another great episode in a couple weeks. Mm -hmm.